This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Look, it's just another day. I get that. There's 365 days in the year, and January 1st is just like any other day. So why do we make resolutions on this day? Well, I don't know. It marks the beginning of a new year. So if you're going to take stock, if you're going to decide to change something or some things, you know, why not do it at the beginning of a calendar year? A lot of people do. Marilyn Monroe, back in the day, resolved to go to acting class and never, ever miss. John Mayer said his resolution was to be more thoughtful in considering news. Rihanna said, stop shopping and quit being late. Amy Schumer resolved to rally women to support each other. Michelle Obama resolved to remember that it's okay to tell people no. And Bill Murray resolved to make more resolutions. I'm going to start out by talking about New Year's resolutions, and I don't think they're all bad, by the way. In fact, I was reading some research recently that said people who kind of have a goal of something they want to do compared to those who actually make a commitment, make a resolution, those that make the resolution are like 10 times more likely to achieve it than those that just kind of have the goal in their head. Now, that doesn't mean resolutions are a great way to get things done, but you're 10 times more likely to do it if you at least make a resolution to do it than just having it in your head. So resolutions, if they're done right, can be good as opposed to just having an awareness. Awareness is like nothing. You don't get anything done. I was really curious about where this whole idea of resolution started. So I was doing some research on it a couple months ago And it actually started like 4,000 years ago. The Babylonians were the ones that started this. Now, for them, New Year's was in March, not January. They had pagan gods, and this was a time that they set up to say, okay, we're going to resolve that the New Year starts now for them in March, and they're going to pay off their debts and return anything they had borrowed from their neighbors. I don't guess they had lawnmowers back then, but they still borrowed stuff. And if they kept those resolutions, the idea was that the gods would smile on them during the year, and if they didn't pay off their debts and return things they had borrowed, then things would go badly for them. That wasn't good, so they wanted to keep those resolutions. Then, like 14 BC, Julius Caesar started playing with the calendar, and that's when the new year started to be in January, or Janus as they referred to it then. And that was a two-faced God. And the idea was the one face looked back at what had happened in the previous year, and one looked forward. They started making resolutions about how they wanted to change things from the year before. And then in like 1740, John Wesley, who was, I guess, the father of Methodism, started it as a 
sort of a spiritual thing to fight all of the traditions of just getting drunk on New Year's Eve. So that's kind of where it began then. But you'd think we've had 4,000 years to practice this, that we would be a little better at it than we are, but we're not. If you look to see how many people keep their resolutions, it varies from like 8% keep them. Some say as many as 46% keep them. But either way, it's really poor. And if you're going to make them, I want you to keep them. So I'm going to talk about how to actually set a goal and make it. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. About half of the people, 41, 45% make New Year's resolutions. The reason I said I don't really hate them, even though they don't have a great success rate, is even though this is arbitrary, I'm for any day that you sit down and take stock and say, hey, I think I want to do a better job. I think I want to be a better person, a better mother, a better father, a better citizen, a better me. I think anytime you sit down and take stock and say, hey, what can I do better? That's a good thing. I think if we did it every month, I think if we did it once a week or whatever, I don't think it'd be a bad idea. But the fact that we set aside a day out of the year to do it, hell, why not? Of those that fail, it's interesting, 52% of the people predict they'll succeed, and as few as 8% do succeed. I said as high as 46% in some studies, it says they succeed, but still less than half. 35% say that they don't make it because it was unrealistic. They set something up that they couldn't get there. It was just too high a goal. A third of them say they just don't track it. About a quarter of them say they just forgot. They intended to do it. They just forgot. 10% say they just set too damn many and they couldn't keep up with it. So we're going to keep you from making all of those mistakes. Have you made a New Year's resolution? Let me ask you that. Think about it right now. Have you made a New Year's resolution and what was it? The 10 most common, you could probably make the list out. People want to eat healthy, get more organized, learn a new skill or a hobby, live life to the fullest. They want to save more and spend less. They want to quit smoking. They want to spend more time with friends and family. I'm not saying these are bad. I'm just saying what they are. They want to travel more. They want to improve their job performance. They want to exercise more, live more healthy. And here's the problem with those, if there is a problem with them. It's kind of hard to measure some of these things. You want to eat more healthy. I mean, something like saving more and spending less is actually measurable. You could actually measure that. But if you're going to set a goal, you want it to be measurable, right? But before we get into setting what your actual goals are, let me talk to you here. And I don't want you to tune out. Because you think, oh, we're just talking about New Year's resolutions. I don't care about that. I can watch Dr. Phil this afternoon, so I'm just going to tune out of this one and and listen to music while I'm walking. No, no, no. Hang with me here, because I'm going to talk to you about something that I really want you to listen to, because this is for you. This is for you. I want to talk to you first about setting yourself up for success in 2023 before you do anything else. And I'm going to tell you a couple of things that can change your life this year. 
There's not anybody today you can listen to that's going to give you facts that I'm going to give you right now that can have a bigger impact on your life. Now, I know that sounds egotistical for me to say. It's not that I've invented this stuff. I just collected the information to give it to you so you can make some differences. And the biggest mistake in life is you think you have time and you don't. Time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. And once it's lost, you can't get it back. Time is a really unique commodity. Think about it. You can't get it back. You can't own it, but you can spend it. And it's the one thing you can't create more of. You can make more money. You can gather more stuff. There's that old saying, you know, the one with the most toys at the end wins. Now, you can't have more time. So I want to talk to you about your time. You may think you have time, but you don't. You don't have time to fix your relationships. You don't have time to bond with your children. You don't have time to do the things that you think you're going to get around to. You don't have time. So I want to talk to you about how to maximize the time that you have. And to do that, I've got to get you to be as efficient as you can possibly be. If this is the one time a year that we take stock, that we step back and say, am I making the most out of my life? Then let's use this time. This is it. You're going to have this one time, this one year, and you are the only you that will ever exist. You may share the name Anita, Connie, Betty, Bob with somebody else, but you are the only you that will ever exist. There will never be another you in the history of the world. It is you, and this is the only time you're ever going to be here. So are you making the most of it? And I'm going to bet you the answer is no. The answer is no. You are not making the most of it, and I want to change that for you starting right now. I want to change it for you right now. And I'm going to give you a couple of things that make a huge difference. And here's the first one. Research tells us, this is empirical research. Fact check me on this, by the way. You got a Google there. You got a machine in front of you. Fact check me on this stuff. The American Psychological Association and many others have done studies. If you stop multitasking, your efficiency goes up at least 40%. 40%. Think about that. What if during the last year, with all the things that you've had to do, what if you could have gotten 40% more done in the last year? Your performance at work could have increased 40%. Everything you tried to do, even during the holiday season, could have gone up 40%. If your productivity in life could have gone up 40%, and then your positive attitude added 30% intellectual power on top of that, you've become a dynamo. Think about that. If your efficiency went up at least 40% and your cognitive power went up 30%, all of a sudden you've become a dynamo. And think of the edge that gives you. Not everybody in America is listening to me right now, but you are. You are. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth. But when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. So cognitive ability goes up 30%. Efficiency goes up 40%. Now all of a sudden, people are looking at you thinking, what in the world happened to them? They're on fire. Now, I'm not even talking to you about the goals you set yet, the resolutions you set. I'm just trying to get you programmed to light it up. Think about that. Now, you're going to say, oh, wait, wait a minute. Multitasking is a skill. There are maybe one, one and a half percent of people in America that can effectively multitask. Well, let's make an agreement. Let's assume that ain't you. Okay, let's assume you ain't that one, one and a half percent. Let's assume you're not one of those people that can multitask effectively. And you may think you are. And employers are so foolish. I look at some of these postings on job sites, and it says, are you good at this? Are you good at that? Are you a good multitasker? They're actually asking that like it's a positive They want you to be able to juggle 10 balls at one time. They're shooting themselves in the foot. They bring you in and try to get you to do three or four jobs thinking that they're going to knock it out of the park. They got one person doing four jobs. No, they don't. They got one person fumbling because they're trying to do three or four jobs. Let me tell you why that is, by the way. I'm not going to bore you with a bunch of details. My friend Sanjay Gupta, who's the medical expert for CNN, describes it pretty well. He says, you've got certain parts of your brain that deal with certain tasks. And whenever you switch from one task to another task, your brain has to disengage from the elements it's using to perform those tasks, switch over to the other parts of the brain that are engaged with a new task, and it has to adapt and engage, and that takes several minutes to do. And then when it finally gets up to speed, and so you start using that part of your brain and those parts of the brain that are engaged with maybe a numerical task versus a physical task, and it gets up to speed, it takes maybe five minutes to get to peak efficiency there. Now they come and say, well, here's a third thing you need to do. So about the time you're getting up to speed there, you pull off of that, and now you're answering an email over here, which is a maybe it's an HR issue. So now you got to switch over to something else. So now that part of the brain's got to get up to speed, and it takes time. Now you got to go back to task one. So the brain has to figure out all right, well, where do we leave off over here? 
and you got to re-engage and the brain's got to get back up to speed there, it's like a jet engine. It's got to spool up. It takes time. And so every time you switch from one thing to another, the brain doesn't just jump in at full speed. It has to read the situation, engage, start ramping up. We just don't do that instantaneously. It takes time. And it's also fatiguing. It shouldn't be called multitasking. It should be called multitaxing because it taxes your brain and you get fatigued. So you go to your desk and you sit down and you deal with six or seven things before you get to what you went back there to do, your number one priority. By the time you get to your number one priority, you're fatigued. So you don't bring your best self to what you went back there to do to begin with. You know, when somebody comes and says, hey, have you got a couple minutes? You know what your answer should be? Actually, I don't. I'm sorry. I'm in the middle of something. Where can I call you when I finish this? Now, that has two elements to it. One is learning how to say no, N-O, and two, how to manage your relationships because they don't care what you're in the middle of. They'll come take two minutes of your time, which actually cost you 15 or 20 minutes to disengage from what you were doing, deal with what they're doing, which never turns out to be two minutes, and then re-engage with something that you were doing before or move on to something else. So you have to learn to say, no, actually, I don't. I'm in the middle of something right now. Where can I call you when I get free? You need to learn to control your relationships and learn to say no. That's part of not falling in the trap of multitasking. So what am I getting at here? (laughs) You thought we were going to talk about New Year's resolutions, and we're not to that yet, are we? Because what I want to do is get you ready to deal with this before you start dealing with goals or resolutions, because if I don't, you're not being your best self. You're not being your best self. That's what I want you to do is get ready to approach whatever you're going to approach being your best self. Coach Mike Bear says, let's be our best self. Let's put our best foot forward. Well, that's what I'm wanting you to do here. Now, there's one more thing. You got to do this stuff consciously, purposefully. I said before, it's not enough to raise your awareness. You have to make a definite commitment to be who you are on purpose. Be who you are on purpose. You can't get up and just react to whatever the world slings your way each and every day. You have to be who you are on purpose. Now, that requires you to have a serious conversation with yourself, and it requires you to write some things down. Writing it down versus just thinking about it puts it on a whole different level. It brings some objectivity to the situation, and you don't forget it. You remember I said some people said they don't do their resolutions because they just forget. They get busy multitasking, and they forget. 
oh, I forgot I was going to say no to people. I forgot I was going to do this. I forgot I was going to do that. No, you need to write this down. You need to put it on your screensaver or whatever. Be who I am on purpose. Be proactive. Don't be reactive. Be who you are on purpose. And the second part of that story is I want you to star in your own life. I want you to decide when you are who you are on purpose that it's a starring role in your own life. We'll get to that at another time, maybe even today. But I want you to decide you're going to have to do this consciously because we're going to finish talking here in a minute. And then you're going to have to decide, okay, what am I going to do with this? And like I said, the biggest mistake in life is you think you have time. You don't have time. I want you to start this today, not tomorrow, the next day, or the next day, or the next day. You've probably heard me say a hundred times, you need to find the people in your life that matter to you and make sure they know how you feel before the sun sets today. Why do I always say that? I say it because you don't know how much time you or they have left in this world. You God forbid, could fall over dead before I finish this sentence. I could fall over dead before I finish this sentence. Your loved ones could fall. You don't know how much time you have. So do it now. The things I'm asking you to change, do it now. I'm asking you to take a positive, optimistic attitude. Find things to be positive about. Find things to be optimistic about. It will increase your cognitive efficiency. Stop multitasking, which means you have to take control of your schedule, your agenda, the things that you're focused on. Willpower is a myth. People go on diets and they say, well, why'd you you fail? Well, I I just didn't have the willpower. Willpower is a myth. It's a myth because it's emotionally driven and emotions are what? They're fickle. They change. They come. They go. You're up. You're down. You're this to that. You think, okay, I'm going to lose 30 pounds. Okay. And you're all pumped up about it January 1st. But then it comes the middle of February and it's cold outside and it's warm in bed and you don't want to go jog or go to the gym. And willpower's kind of gone. So what's the substitute for willpower? Programming. Programming. You have to set up your environment to support the things that you want to do. That means if you have things that you are committing to change, you have to set your environment up so it cues you, triggers you, reminds you, supports you to do it. I'll give you a good example right now. Right now, I've been working on a shoulder that I had surgery on not terribly long ago. and. I've got this small dumbbell on my desk. Why? Well, I've got this dumbbell on my desk here. I've got it on my desk at the studio. I've got one in the dressing room of my studio. I've got one in the den here. I've got one of these everywhere that I spend time and have a few minutes I've got a gym upstairs, and I can go in there and work out, and I do. But if I'm here and I'm watching a video that I need for the show or I'm reading something and I've got a few minutes, then I can pick this up and do the things I need to do while I'm watching that. And you would be astounded 
how many sets I can get in during the day when I just have a few minutes. Now you're saying, wait a minute, are you multitasking there, Dr. Phil? No, I'm not multitasking. I'm using dead time when I wouldn't have time to go up to the gym, but I'm just here at my desk and I'm waiting to do this, waiting to do that, waiting for something to load. And I've got some time that I don't have time to go up to the gym. I might be in a suit. I might be not in any kind of gym clothes. But these are cues that remind me what I need to do. And I've set my environment up to make it really easy to do it instead of really hard to do it. And if you decide, hey, I want to work out instead of come home at the end of the day and go in the kitchen and graze around, then I would tell you, you set your environment up by doing what? Well, first off, you take your workout clothes with you to work so you can stop at the gym on the way home. You don't have to come home and have the pull of the comfort of home where you are fighting that impulse to stay there you have it where you can go while you're out and about. And you say, well, I come through the kitchen, I open the refrigerator door, I stare into it, and I, you know, I start nibbling on this, nibbling on that. Well, you know what? Park your car, go out the garage door, and go around and come in the front door. Don't go through the kitchen. Set your pattern up. Set your environment up where it supports you rather than tempts you. You set your environment up for success. You put notes around. You put things around like this dumbbell so you have it where it's easy and it pulls for success rather than temptation. If you want to quit smoking, then rid yourself of everything in your environment that makes it easy to smoke. Obviously, get rid of all of your cigarettes. Get rid of all of your ashtrays. If you get them from a vending machine, go down a different hallway at work. Whatever you have to do, use your environment to support what you're doing. Now, so far, we haven't talked about any goals. I'm just talking about you. I'm talking about you deciding what can I do to be the most effective person that I can possibly be. And it has to do, so far, with your attitude. We've talked about how you can be smarter, how you can be more efficient, how you can program yourself for success. And I've talked to you about the reality of time. I don't want you six months from now saying, well, if I had just, if I had just, look, if, I-F, those are the middle two letters of the word life. Don't spend your life focused on if. You want to do. Don't focus on if. And you may say, look, I hear you, Dr. Phil. It's very motivational. I get it. But that's just not me. We were all somebody else yesterday. We are evolving people. We were all somebody else yesterday. The past is just that. It's the past. That's why the rearview mirror is small and the windshield on your car is big. The past is the past. The future is wide open. You decide what you're going to be 
as I said, if you do make a resolution, if you do set a specific goal, you're much more likely to achieve it than if you just kind of in your mind say, yeah, I'd like to do better at that. Why? Because once you write it down, that's action-oriented. It's moving you towards the goal. That's the first step. You're in motion. You've got momentum. And as you know, momentum is the tendency for objects in motion to remain in motion. And inertia is a tendency for objects at rest to remain at rest. If you're just thinking about it, you're not in motion. You don't have any momentum. You haven't written anything down. You haven't done anything. So it's important if you have a resolution, you have a goal, write it down. And when you write it down, it needs to meet certain characteristics. And here are the characteristics. It needs to be measurable. It doesn't do any good to say, I want to be happier. Well, what's that mean? You need to operationalize that. What does happy mean? You want to smile more, cry less, be more active? Whatever it means, define it. It's got to be measurable in some way. If you say, I want to be more active, you could define that in terms of, I want to walk 10,000 steps a day. Then you can get a step counter and say, okay, I, I did it. So your goal has to be measurable. Second, you need to define the steps that you need to take to get from where you are now to that goal. We don't have to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Small changes add up to big differences across time. Let's say one of your goals is to lose weight. Well, Listen, if you lose a pound a week, a half a pound a week, a pound and a half a week over the next six months, that adds up. If you lose a pound a week for the next 26 weeks, that's 26 pounds. And here's the thing. You might want it to be more, but that 26 weeks is going to go by whether you're doing something about your weight or not. Like I said, time the biggest mistake we make. We think we have time. That 26 weeks is going by whether you're doing something or not. You might as well be doing something. A third important characteristic is you've got to give yourself some attagirls, some attaboys. When you do something and you achieve one of those interval steps, pat yourself on the back. Say, hey, I did that. I got it done. If one of your goals is I want to go back and get my associate degree or whatever, then if step one is I need to get my high school transcripts, I need to write to my high school, get copies of my transcripts. If that's your goal this week and you write that letter and you send it off, then say, hey, I, I got that done. I did that. If your goal next week is to contact the community college and find out what their start dates are and what the curriculums are, and you get those catalogs, give yourself credit. You got that done. In the third week, you get those transcripts and you fill out that application and you attach them and you deliver it out there. Give yourself credit for that. Have you gotten your associate's degree yet? No, but you've taken the steps towards it and you can't get there till you do that. Give yourself credit. A goal has to have a timeline. Someday is not a day of the week. I've looked at my calendar. It's got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Someday is not on there. 
You got to be specific. You got to have a timeline. And you've got to have accountability. Somebody that you trust, somebody that wants you to succeed, set up with them and say, hey, every Wednesday or every Friday or every Sunday, I want you to check in with me and hold me accountable. And if I didn't get done what I said I was going to get done, I want you to look me in the eye and say, what was more important than doing what was your number one priority? I want you to hold my feet to the fire. And you need to have patience and you need to have forgiveness. This is not going to be a success-only journey. So when you screw up, when you run it off in the ditch, that's not an excuse to quit. That is a cue to get back up there and close the gap. I'm trying to give you some straight-up rules here. And here's one of the rules. Have faith in yourself and then trust in those who earn it. Have faith in yourself. That's who you can trust is you. That's who you can go with based on faith. Everybody else, they need to earn it. Now, I was raised up in a Baptist church and the Bible Belt, and we were taught you give people the benefit of the doubt. That's insane. Certainly in this day and time with a transient society where we don't really know people. You know, when I grew up, we weren't a very transient society. You knew everybody in the neighborhood. If anybody that wasn't supposed to be there, they stuck out like a sore thumb because we weren't very transient. We went to school two blocks away. Nobody moved. Everybody was there. So if like some stranger like stranger danger showed up, you knew this guy didn't belong here. Even then, it didn't make sense. Give people benefit of the doubt. Why would you do that? And you're thinking, well, Dr. Phil, that's awful harsh. No, it's not. You shouldn't judge them as bad either. I'm not saying they're guilty till proven innocent. I'm saying what you should do is gather information Gather data until you have enough to make an informed decision. You don't give somebody the benefit of the doubt. You don't let them in your life. You don't loan them money. You don't do all of these things because it's a nice thing to do. Are you kidding me? You need to gather enough data until you can make an informed decision. See them in enough different situations and circumstances. Try a little something and see how it works. And if they show themselves to be trustworthy at that level, then go to the next level. I play tennis a lot, and I have some friends that are tennis friends. And I trust them as tennis friends 100%. And what does that mean? It means if I make a date to play tennis with them, I expect them and trust that they will show up 100% of the time. They will not stand me up. They will not be an hour late. When they get there, they won't be a jerk and argue over line calls and pout if they're losing or slam balls around or whatever. They'll be pleasant, and we'll laugh and compete and have a good time. I trust that that's what will happen. But that doesn't mean I take them home. It doesn't mean I go into business with them. It doesn't mean I confide in them. 
family secrets. I trust them 100% at the level of a tennis friend. It doesn't mean that they can't be more than that. They just aren't yet. And maybe they will be, maybe they won't. And they probably trust me the same way. It's like, you know, he's a good tennis friend. He shows up every time. He's pleasant. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't argue line calls. He plays hard every time. And we laugh and have a good time. And then we get in our cars and leave. That doesn't mean that they can make a decision about my overall morality or my politics or how I would be as a business partner. That's not relevant. If they were going to take it to the next level, they would need to gain more information. Do that. Have friends at a certain level, and then if they ratchet up, you need more information. Don't give people the benefit of the doubt. Some people are loyal to you, and some people are loyal to their need for you. And when the need changes, so does the loyalty. Like they may need you for some work-related reason, and then if they change jobs, you're no longer relevant and they don't care. They were loyal to their need for you, not to you. Pay attention to people's motive. Why are they doing what they're doing? Pay attention to whether people seem to be entitled or if they're accountable. You want people in your circle who own what they do. They don't sit around asking what you can do for them or what the world can do for them. Decide who you want to populate your space with. Have the courage to cut ties. You know, I said, part of your image is set boundaries. That's why I was talking about that, because now I want you to go, you know what? I've kind of been a passenger in my life. People that are in my life are in my life because they just were there. So since they're there, they just kind of stayed there. No, no, no. We're not going to be that way anymore. We're not going to have people there just because. They're not going to be there today just because they were there yesterday and they were there yesterday because they were there the day before. They're going to be there today because you choose for them to be there. You're going to be you on purpose, and part of that means you're going to choose your friends on purpose. You're going to choose your relationships on purpose. You say, well, I can't choose my mother. I can't choose my dad. No, but you can choose what relationship you have with them. You can choose how much of a part of your life they are. And hear this real clear. You don't have to react every time you can. Now, this doesn't sound like a big one, but this is a big one. You don't have to react every time you have a justifiable reason to be offended. Just because you can be offended doesn't mean you must be offended. And, oh my God, are we a bunch of offended people in this day and time. Something's offending everybody. You don't have to be offended because you can be. It's okay to let something slide. Pick your battles. Pick your battles. In the last podcast, I was talking about a paralegal. And I said, let me tell you something about this girl. 
Some people would get offended that I referred to her as a girl instead of a woman. Why well, mean anything by that? It's just I knew her. I worked with her for 20 years. When I first met her, she was 18. She was a girl. I was 20 years older than her. It's just in my mind, I fixed her in that level. And nobody said anything about it. Nobody got offended about that. But some people would get offended about that. Well, you called her a girl. She's a woman. I know she's a woman. She was a girl when I met her, and I kind of fixed that in my mind. And if I saw her today, I'd say, hey, girl. Yeah, it's just our relationship. You don't have to get offended every time you can find a hook to get offended. Pick your battles. And it's okay to let something slide. You don't have to be a 24-7 warrior. You just don't have to be. You can be. And if it's important to you, then okay. That's the battle you pick. But understand, every time your sister, your brother, your mother, your friend, they know where your buttons are, and every time they push one of them, Thanksgiving, Easter dinner, is not the time to solve your family problems. (laughs) You can let it slide. If it's important enough that it needs solving, then it'll still be important next Wednesday. You don't need to solve it Easter Sunday at dinner. If it's really important, it will be important Wednesday, and you can call them and resolve it then. It doesn't have to be resolved just because she pokes you at Easter dinner. (laughs) Just don't take the bait. Be in control of yourself. You don't have to react every time you get poked. And if you're in control of yourself, you can say, I'm not. (laughs) Thank you, but no thank you. It's so nice when you are in control. I have laughed with people that have jerked me around so bad you wouldn't believe it. And they think I don't know because I'll stand there and laugh with them because that's not a battle I want to pick. When I pick the battle, I will pick the battle, I will pick the battlefield, I will pick the battle time, and I will pick the battle weapons. I'm not going to let them choose all of that by poking me at a party. We may have this battle, but when we do, I will pick it. I will pick the time, the place, the rules, the weapons. I'm going to do all that picking. They don't get to pick all of that. They may stand there and think, he has no idea what I've done. And that's just fine. Like I said, keep your cards close to your vest. They may think, oh boy, I've pulled one over on him. No, no, they haven't. And when it comes time for them to know, they'll know. But it's not here at my friend's wedding. That's not the time to do this. We'll deal with this another time because I have enough control that I can pick another day, another time because somebody else's agenda is more important than my own. And I have enough control to do that. And so do you. You just haven't necessarily put that on your to-do list. So that's what I mean when I say clean up your social circle. 
and you've got people that may sabotage you. And like I said, you can call me a some bitch, but you're going to do it long distance. Because you're not going to be in my inner circle if you don't have my best interest at heart. You can go stand over there across the street and throw rocks at me, but you're not going to hit me in the head with one standing behind me. If I know that's who you are, you're going over there. And if you don't, I will. But I'm not going to have people in my social circle that are going to stab me in the back. And neither should you. We talked about cleaning up your habits. The main one is just multitasking. What other habits do you need to put on your list? What do you do that's not in your best interest? Make a list. Check it twice. Ask yourself why you're doing this. What's your payoff? You don't do things in pattern if you don't get a payoff. So I just want you to identify what is it you do that is not in your best interest that you don't want to do anymore. And that's very important for you to identify because I really want you to resolve that you are going to be you on purpose. That's what I said at the top of this conversation. Remember, I started our conversation last time with saying, decide who you are. What's your image? One of the things that defines your self-image is the right to have boundaries. Remember that? That's what I mean when I say you need to be you on purpose. You need to be you on purpose. You need to decide, this is who I am. I choose it. I own it. I purposely execute this. I make no excuses for it. This is the horse I'm riding. Will it evolve? Will it be a better horse tomorrow than it was today? Of course. We're all somebody different today than we were yesterday. But that doesn't mean at the core you don't know who you are. I know who I am. I accept who I am. I star in my own life. You know, Mark Twain said it really well. He said, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Isn't that profound? The two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. That's what I mean when I say be you on purpose. Find out why. Figure it out. Claim it. Own it. That's what I meant when I said be unique, be essential, be relevant. Don't just be. Be unique. Matter where you are. Don't just be furniture. Become meaningful. Be in this world in such a way that if you weren't there, it would matter. I do not want to be in this world in such a way that if I didn't show up, nobody would miss me. I don't want that to be my existence in this world where it's like, I don't show up for seven or eight days and somebody goes, where's, where's Dr. Fian been around for seven or eight days? I didn't even miss him. I want somebody to miss me the minute I'm gone. <laughs> I'll start looking for me right now if I don't show up. Don't you? Don't you want it to be where like, hey, hold on. We can't, no, we can't go without him. <laughs> we need him to be here. It's like, I want to be the pilot on the plane. It's like everybody gets on the plane and says, well, wait a minute, the pilot's not here. We can't go. I want to be essential to this mission. 
if we're going to fly somewhere, I want to be in the role of the pilot. Like, we can't go without the pilot. Hold on. We can't leave without him. Be essential. Figure yourself out a role, but be who you are on purpose. Mark Twain was right. The day you're born is pretty important or you wouldn't be here. And the other day is the day you find out why. Why you were born. Now, remember I said that the secret to success is to know some things that other people don't know. It doesn't matter if it's as a parent. It doesn't matter if it's at work. Wherever you are, you need to be essential. I talked to you last week about knowing who you are, knowing what your currency is, and stretching yourself. And that means getting out of your comfort zone. That doesn't mean that it's going to always be a success-only journey. It's not. I'm not telling you that when you stretch yourself, you're not going to fall and skin your knees. That you're not going to do a face plant. But I'm going to read you a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. You've heard it before. You probably just haven't thought about it for a long time. So I'm not reading you something you haven't read before. But I want us to focus on it. Listen carefully. You've heard it. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. It's not that person that sits back and throws rocks that counts. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's where the credit belongs. The man who is in the arena. And by man here, he means human, not male or female. He means human. Whose face is marred by blood and sweat and dust who strives valiantly, who comes up short, who does actually strive to do the deeds, the one that gets in there and mixes it up, who in the end knows high achievement, or if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. He's not talking about somebody sitting on the sideline. 
He's not talking about somebody in their comfort zone. He's talking about somebody that put it on the line and reached for the next level. Now, he's not talking about gladiators here. This is a metaphor, right? The arena he's talking about is life. The arena he's talking about is your life. Are you daring greatly? Are you reaching for that next level? Are you modeling for your children? You need to find something in this life that you're passionate about. If your children don't have passion, you need to help them find something that they're passionate about. And to do that, you need to put down those burdens that you're carrying. You need to unburden yourself. You need to give yourself permission to give yourself a break. You've carried these burdens long enough. Give yourself permission to forgive yourself and put those burdens down. I'm quoting people today for some reason, but you know Einstein said it really well. He said, we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. That's why I started this by saying I want you to change your thinking. We can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. You got to think differently. You got to change the way you approach this world. And that's what I'm asking you to do. And I'm asking you to think about this based on how to change what you want versus being a slave to an agenda. Don't be in reactive mode. What I want you to do is focus on what you want. Don't get up and react to the world where you get up and do Monday what you did last Monday just because it's what you did last Monday. Is it what you want to do? And if it's not what you want to do, then start a process of change to get more of what you want to do. Now, I understand if you're working as an accountant and you don't like that, you can't just quit tomorrow and start flying freight out of Africa or something. I get that. I'm not trying to get you to be some kind of exotic dreamer. But I told you, this is not a dress rehearsal. The middle word in life is if. L-I-F. If you don't want to be on your deathbed saying, what if I had done this? What if I had done that? You want to answer that question. So I want to stimulate your thinking here with a few questions. And you may think these are kind of silly, but bear with me. If you had $100 million tomorrow morning, what would you do different? If you woke up tomorrow and you had $100 million, what would you do different? If you woke up tomorrow and you were king or queen of the forest, if you were just in charge, what would be your top three priorities? If you could erase one thing that happened last year, what would it be? 
just one thing. If you could erase one thing that happened in your personal life, I'm not talking about the world. If you could erase one thing in your life, what would it be? If you could ensure that one thing was going to happen, what would that be? So those are four questions I want you to think about. If you had a hundred million dollars, what would you do instead? If you were king or queen of the forest, what would be your top three priorities? If you could erase one thing in your life, what would it be? If you could ensure one thing was going to happen, what would it be? That will get you started on the path. 